Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn. On today's episode, we are going to examine the life of a lumber baron, city planner, and soldier as we learn about Major Noah Ferry. In 1834, the Ferry family arrived in what is today the city of Grand Haven. At the time, there was an indigenous community and a fur trade post operated by Rick Robinson in the area, but nothing much else. Among the Ferry family was their four-year-old son, Noah. Noah Ferry was born on August 30, 1831, on Mackinac Island, where his father, William Montague Ferry, was running a missionary. Tensions with the local Catholic residents and a downsizing of the organization he was working for led William to look for a new place to raise his growing family, and Grand Haven became their destination. As a young boy, both Noah and his siblings attended school in the area and were taught by their aunt, Mary White. From this schooling, Noah continued his education, attending Bell's Commercial College in Chicago, where he had top marks and graduated with honors. He would, after graduation, teach at the college for a few years. Then in 1854, he and his brother Edwin went north to create a sawmill near White Lake. The mill they built began attracting others to the area, and soon a small community developed. This community was located near the mouth of the Old Channel into Lake Michigan, from White Lake. The area was called White River by the residents, or the stump, or mouth even. Unlike in Muskegon, this channel from White Lake into Lake Michigan was narrow and quite shallow most of the time. So by putting a mill near Lake Michigan, it made it easier to transport the logs upriver and lake to the mill where they could then be cut and floated onto boats in Lake Michigan, or put on small craft and then loaded onto larger schooners in the lake. The ferries and this community were successful, and the Ferry Brothers expanded from just having a mill to including a bank, dry goods store, and warehouses. Ferry also helped establish the first school at the Mouth Village. These businesses prospered great, and in 1860, Noah Ferry had a personal wealth of $10,000 and a property wealth of $22,000, which in today's money totals near $1 million. Not bad for a 28-year-old. By 1860, though, the trees near the Mouth Settlement had been cut down, and it was becoming clear that the White River was going to play a bigger role in bringing trees from further afar to White Lake and the mills. With this, the population in the area started to move. Noah Ferry saw this trend, and in 1861, he helped plat and lay out the city of Montague, so named in honor of his father, William Montague Ferry. Noah Ferry, however, wouldn't get to see the city he planned for spring up. On April 12, 1861, the first shots of the American Civil War occurred with the attack on Fort Sumter. Noah Ferry, like many young men at the time, felt it his duty to join the Union cause of the war and applied to join the infantry in 1861. However, the unit he wanted to join was full, and thus Ferry was denied, so he went back to work at his mill. He could have easily have stayed at this point, having tried to join up once already, and most likely enjoyed a successful life of luxury, but by 1862, the Union was looking for more soldiers, and Ferry jumped into the opportunity. Ferry also talked with his workers and various other local residents to enlist with him. Ferry had a good reputation, and many were eager to join him. Some 70 men would enlist with Ferry, and he was elected as captain of these men. Another 30 would join the unit, making them a full 102-man company. These men would be known as the White River Guard or the White River Boys. They would make up Company F of the 5th Michigan Cavalry. Edwin Ferry was put in charge of the mill 
and the other ferry properties in the area, and Noah and his men left for Detroit for their training. Very quickly, the men were sent from Detroit to Washington. Upon leaving for this assignment, Noah Ferry penned a letter to his mother in response about stepping by for a quick visit. It will be but a short time that I shall be away. June will bring us back. If by the accident of war I should find my end upon the field, for I will not think it may be in the hospital, you will have the comfort of knowing that I have, by dying in such a cause, not lived in vain. And no impure motive had a voice in bringing me here, nor is there in my history anything of which my friends need feel ashamed. The first mission that the fifth had was to try and chase down raiders who were creating havoc behind Union lines and in Union towns. While this posting never saw them in action, it did lead to a moment where Ferry's qualities and dedication to his men shone. On a stormy night in northern Virginia, Ferry's company was ordered through a narrow gap called the Ashby Gap, or Ashby Pass. Ferry requested that scouts be sent ahead in case of an ambush, but the colonel, Freeman Norvell, had been drinking and refused to listen. He then proceeded to order Ferry's men forward. Ferry insisted that this was a mistake and managed to get the advance stopped. However, he did not escape punishment and was reprimanded for a time before the incident was fully explained. It was acts of leadership like this that allowed Ferry to quickly rise to the rank of Major. After this incident, the army moved northwards towards Pennsylvania, chasing after the Army of Northern Virginia before clashing at a small town known as Gettysburg. On July 3, 1863, the Michigan Cavalry under Brigadier General George Custer, yes, that Custer, was positioned on the Union's right side. In this position, they were tasked with protecting the flank and keeping the Confederate cavalry under Jeb Stuart from circling behind the Union lines. These two forces would meet at what is now called East Cavalry Field, which lies about three miles east of Gettysburg. The 5th Regiment was on foot for the fight and were taking up a position near a fence line when the Confederates attacked. I'll let the words of a Private Williams speak for what happened during this attack. Quote, Just before we went into the skirmish, he, meaning Ferry, went along the line, calm, happy, and cheerful. Now, boys, if any of you are unwilling to go forward, you may stay here. Of course, not one of us stayed, with such an officer to lead us. We advanced on foot through the wheat, he all the while cheering, encouraging us on, we pressed forward upon the enemy, forcing back their sharpshooters and battery. While thus engaged, a soldier was shot down by the major's side. He grasped the fallen soldier's musket and fired as he called us onward, Rally, boys! Rally for the fence! As he said this, Ferry was struck in the head and died instantly. His men were pushed back, but eventually the Union repelled the flanking maneuver. Ferry's body was found and buried next to the Rommel farmhouse. Once the battle was over, the loss of Ferry struck those who knew him very hard. To many, Ferry was one of the best officers. Among his report of the East Cavalry Field fight, Custer said of Ferry, Among the killed, I regret to record the name of the brave and chivalric Major Noah Ferry of the 5th Michigan Cavalry, who fell heroically cheering on his men. Word of Noah's death came swiftly to Grand Haven, and his father traveled to Gettysburg to retrieve his son's body. On July 17th, William Ferry returned by boat to Grand Haven with his son. The citizens of Grand Haven, along with his friends and acquaintances, lined the street to form a procession. The Grand Haven paper does an excellent job describing the feeling and scene. Quote, Here was a most touching scene, the venerable husband and father returning from his sad pilgrimage in search of the remains of his noble son, meets the stricken wife and mother and weeping family with those remains. But we draw the veil over sorrows too deep for utterance and too sacred for the public eye. 
The funeral was held a few days later, and then Noah Ferry was buried in Lake Forest Cemetery in Grand Haven, in an area today known as Ferry Hill. This grave would not be the only memorial for Noah Ferry, however. After Noah's death, his property in Montague passed to his parents. His father, William Ferry, died a few years later, and then his mother, Amanda, died in 1870. In her will, she left $1,500 for the construction of a Presbyterian church in Montague. Noah's brother Edward would at the same time give another $10,500 so a complete church could be built and could include a parish house as long as the church would be named after his departed brother. He also donated the land for the church and parish to be built on, land that once had belonged to his brother Noah. Construction of this church finished in 1874 and Ferry Presbyterian Church was dedicated on January 9, 1877. In the 1940s, this church encountered tough times and ended up closing, though the church would be passed on to a reformed congregation at the cost of $1 with the stipulation that the name Ferry had to stay attached, and thus began Ferry Memorial Reformed Church. While the original church building isn't used for regular service, it still stands as a memorial to Noah Ferry and a sacrifice for his country even today. Mm-hmm.